Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravel, and I'm the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, Tyler, uh, concrete is the most widely used building material on planet Earth, I've heard. Uh, it has, it's a big it, one. It is a big one. It's been used, of course, going way back to the Romans. That's right. Uh, as a building material, and it's particularly important in the marine environment. That's true. And uh, there is a problem with concrete, and uh, it doesn't really work well for the natural environment. And so today on the American Shoreline Podcast, we have with us the co-founder and CEO of E-Concrete Tech Limited, a company out of Tel Aviv, Israel, who is the inventor of a new kind of concrete specifically designed for the marine environment. And Tyler, as you know, all around the world, sea levels are rising. Armoring of shorelines is going to get more uh, extensive. And figuring out a way to use concrete better is an important uh, initiative. So we are pleased to welcome to the show Dr. Shimret Perkol Finkal. She is the CEO and co-founder of Econcrete with her co-founder, Dr. Ido Sella both of the University of Tel Aviv PhD program and uh, welcome to the American Shoreline podcast Dr. Perkel Finkel. Hi. Hi everybody. Well we're really looking forward to getting into this. Uh, I'm looking forward to you know putting on my dusty my dusty boots my uh, my outdoor work and uh, diving into this uh, subject matter. Obviously you know, when you think about it, you go to the beach, you look around, you're going to see a lot of, of concrete just pretty much anywhere you go, uh, If it's certainly if it's a developed shoreline area. And so the notion that we can learn more about this important building material really got us going, Peter. So I know this is going to be a really interesting discussion. Uh, before we get into it, though, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association. Meet us at the AIWA conference coming up November 21st and 22nd in Savannah, Georgia. Get registered. We'll be podcasting from the AIWA conference. Yeah, y'all. We'd love to see you there. Uh, we'll be podcasting. Come, come on and come on our podcast. Hey. That's a real thing that can happen if you've listened to any of our uh, uh, ASBPA coverage, right, Peter? So uh, we look forward to seeing you there at the Atlantic Intracoastal Waterway Association, AtlanticIntracoastal.org. Well, Shimrit, it was it was great to hear from you as, and, and putting the show together and the opportunity to talk to you. I'm fascinated by your background. Uh, marine biologist, Ph.D., an innovator, a scientist— an entrepreneur, wife, and this is from your bio, and a mother of three. Uh, the company that you founded has been incredibly well recognized around the world. Fast Company's Most Creative People of 2019, you received that award, award earlier this year. Uh, in 2018, the United Nations uh, recognized you with the We Empower Award E, and I believe you were ended up in New York at the United Nations headquarters as part of that award program. And this year, also Forbes number 13 women-led companies crushing tech. Woo! 
that's got to be one of the most successful marine biologists I've ever met. And I was a marine biology major myself, uh, Schmidt. So I, I got to tell you, <laughs> way to go. Well, my first question is, how do you go from being a PhD scientist, marine biologist, to the founder of a concrete manufacturing company? Um, so first of all, thank you for the introduction. Uh, it, it's been an, a very exciting couple of years now. And we're looking forward for the next years as well. Um, I did my PhD on ecological and biological aspects of artificial reefs. I was studying in the Red Sea, beautiful environment. Um, how can we design artificial reefs to better mimic natural reef communities? Uh, as a part of that work, I wanted to explore issues of design as well as issues of time. How long does it take for a man-made structure uh, to have any resemblance to a, an actual reef? And since the PhD is limited for four years period and the coral reef takes, you know, decades and, and, and hundreds of years to develop, I decided to study existing structures, man-made structures, uh, to explore that. And uh, part of those structures, you know, were old seawalls and oil jetties, et cetera. So I managed to see how, how these structures are developing over time. I've seen how they are not functioning well how, how, what is the level of, of, you know, low biodiversity and low productivity from, from these structures. Uh, and also in some of our experiments, I've, I've actually placed some complexity onto these structures and, and saw that with a very small change in the three-dimensional structure, we can get an amazing life onto those structures. Uh, and that is what got me thinking, how can we harness uh, man-made structures and increase their their, their productivity, uh, seeing that concrete uh, is about 70% of, of coastal structures, uh, Ido and myself went to tackle concrete as a material. Uh, we, we literally started an independent R&D process to study how we can tweak the concrete, uh, maintaining its structural integrity and enhancing marine growth. And once we saw this works, uh, we decided, okay, to make a change in the way the industry works, we have to go commercial. We can't do this from the industry because we really have to come up with a line of products uh, to, to uh, satisfy the needs of the industry. That's that's a fascinating uh, way to enter in and um, help us understand. Now, this is I'm going to ask just a, one of kind of a silly, broad question here. But what is concrete? Uh, what what can you describe for us what the building material is uh, we obviously we're all familiar with it we know it's hard <laughs> we know that you you know it comes in a truck <laughs> or a big heavy wheelbarrow I mean we're we know a little bit about it but for, you know from a science perspective what is this stuff so concrete is composed of basically a mix of cement sand aggregate and water that's your typical concrete uh, where the cement is made uh, from clinker. It's basically a, a material that you source uh, from quarries. It undergoes, basically, to prepare the clinker, you have to undergo a series of uh, manufacturing uh, procedures that are very, very uh, uh, energy intensive. Uh, for this reason, concrete or, or cement, basically, uh, is one of the most uh, carbon polluting industries. Uh, accounting for about 7 or 8% of the carbon emissions globally. Um, and so as a material, it's it's quite a simple mixed design. Uh, when you go into marine construction and marine concrete, uh, you're entering a much more elaborate 
uh, composition on the concrete because typically uh, to get the strength and the, and the resistance for maintaining a structure for 20, 30, 100 years in the marine environment, you have to add different chemical agents, different additives, uh, corrosion inhibitors, uh, airing trainers for anti-freezing. Uh, so there's like a whole bunch of uh, high-end additives that are being added uh, to the concrete mix design in order to produce what we know as concrete. Okay, so let, let me ask it. Let me go a little bit deeper on cement. Uh, the cement is the binder. I'm not sure that I didn't catch the word you used to describe it. What What did you say it was a clinker? Clinker, yeah. Um, what does that so, mean? Uh, basically, when you mine uh, the the Portland uh, cement from the quarries, uh, yes, it, it's definitely a, a, a binder. And it's almost never used on its own. Uh, it's a powder material that uh, you, you basically source uh, from uh, those uh, queries. And uh, once you, you basically cook it uh, in, in, a, in a very intensive uh, process, uh, you are getting into the actual cement. Okay, so we're, it's a chemical process we're talking about here. Uh, this binder and the composition of the concrete itself, the chemistry of the material, uh, contributes to its strength and how it performs in the water in different environments. And and what what your company is trying to do or has done, it sounds like, is invent a different chemical composition for marine concrete. Is that correct? Is that what you guys have done that's different? We are, we've invented a new additive material. I mentioned that in the industry, they use a lot of additives. Mm -hmm. uh, and this added material is, again, a type of, uh, of, of a porcelain. It's a type of uh, um, a mixture of, of different uh, cementous materials uh, that you add to the concrete mix. We're not replacing uh, this, the classic cement uh, 100%. We're replacing about 10%. Uh, from the cementous materials in the mix design with our unique admix. Uh, and that is generally sufficient uh, for making the concrete bio-enhanced, as we say, to, to kind of activate the biology. Um, and in many cases, we also use a mixture of our admix with uh, other um, uh, products like uh, slag cement, which is an, a byproduct of the steel industry. Uh, and often using the marine environment. We're getting into concrete chemistry here, but mm -hmm. slag cement or, or SEM, SEM5 uh, is basically uh, a combination of uh, lower uh, carbon intensive uh, cement uh, that's also more resistant uh, to uh, chloride penetration. Uh, and so we can, with our admix, we can go, uh, we can lower the Portland cement component uh, quite significantly uh, and, and therefore have uh, a better, a lower carbon uh, footprint and a better uh, product from a biological perspective. Got it. That sounds sensible. So uh, by changing the composition or reducing the amount of Portland cement, which is manufactured through this very intensive uh cooking process as you describe it i mean you're right uh, con concrete production in the world is about seven or eight percent of all co2 emissions on the planet if you if it were a country this is said uh the united states 
uh, would be the highest CO2 producer, China number two, and concrete number three. And so finding ways to reformulate concrete to reduce the carbon footprint, good environmental step. Um, but the chemical composition, I'm really interested in, in, in your research during your PhD. You said you're looking at these structures. You're trying to see what the biological recruitment is, what is what is going on with these materials in the water, what is the diversity of animals attaching, uh, sessile organisms, we're talking about oysters, whatever, algaes and things. Uh, and So what did you find when you did your research, uh, and what is wrong with concrete the way it is typically manufactured and deployed in the environment, in the marine environment? What did you find out during your PhD? So first of all, my PhD did not deal with concrete. Ah. I dealt with different materials. Uh, We looked at uh, metal structures. We looked at some concrete structures. So I didn't really study the concrete during my PhD. Okay. Uh, Basically, e-concrete was born after I already finished uh, my my PhD and and my postdoc. Uh, uh, That's where we identified the the abundance of concrete and started studying uh, its properties. But we did study internally for over the, well, practically uh, two, three years, very intensive study of the concrete and different concrete mix designs. Uh, And what we found was that standard, you know, Portland cement-based concrete uh, offers a relatively poor substrate for uh, marine recruitment. We have done uh, a series of experiments uh, with different mix designs and deployed them uh, in the Mediterranean Sea, in Israel, in the Red Sea, uh, and across the east coast of the U.S., from Key West, Savannah, Georgia, a few sites around New York, and even in the Great Lakes, we've done this big experimental array where we deployed our concrete mix designs and standard control Portland uh, concrete. Right. And we studied every every six months. We went diving and exploring what is growing on the concrete, and we mapped uh, the fact that we can get uh, on our concrete basically double the biodiversity and species richness. These are kind of biological parameters, of course, that right. uh, take into consideration the number of species and their abundance and their kind of spread on the substrate. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also managed to significantly reduce uh, the dominance of invasive species, of non-native species on the concrete, uh, thanks to the fact that we are mimicking a natural uh, feature, natural f- substrate much more efficiently and giving the local species a much better opportunity to thrive Whereas on a regular concrete slab, they they are really being uh, kind of pushed back by those opportunistic and invasive species. Huh. That I read that in in preparing for the discussion, I was fascinated by that and very curious about this invasive species uh, attribute. It, it yeah. does Portland cement, or what we I would just say is the old kind of concrete. Uh, the recruitment isn't high, a lot, not a lot of oysters and diversity, as you say, w- whatever the animals are. Um, is it a function of the chemistry of the concrete, the, the, the surface texture of the concrete? Is it both? Uh, it's, it's definitely both, uh, and that's part of the results of the study. Uh, first of all, the chemistry of the concrete, I mentioned it's not only uh, the Portland cement, it's also the chemicals that are being added to the marine grade uh, concrete mm. that are apparently kind of leaching out from the surface and affecting the growth and uh, the recruitment of the marine organisms. Uh, we've run a series of uh, laboratory testing where we just took concrete, um, like almost ice cube size concrete slabs, 
uh, of different components of our e-concrete mixed designs and regular concrete, and we put larvae of oysters and of corals in very, very controlled experiments, and we found uh, that the recruitment on, on e-concrete can be as high as 60-70%, whereas in most cases on Portland, uh, we're getting something between 2 to 10%. Uh, and this was also done, for example, on studies by the Billion Oyster Project people in New York in their uh, oyster hatcheries. So we have validation from that from different sources. Um, in addition, we're talking about a very smooth surface. I mean, engineers want to have something very, very flat, very homogenized. So you, you, you have a surface that is very boring, you can say, for uh, marine life, and that drives the diversity down. And when we are adding uh, roughness and three-dimensional design, we're getting a much more habitat value. Uh, and even the ability of those little larvae to, to adhere to the substrate is enhanced uh, when we have micro uh, roughness at the, at the level of millimeters, uh, we're breaking the laminar flow across uh, the uh, element, like the seawall, and we're creating little turbulence uh, that are really at the micro level, so they're not um, interfering with the structure's uh, capacity to, to break the waves or something, but they are allowing for the larvae to reach the surface and to colonize. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, Shamrit, this is one of the things I really appreciate about what you're doing, because in when you look at coastal construction and, and a variety of forms, if you look at, say, uh, marsh restoration projects, sometimes the engineers like the line straight, as you say. Uh, they, they, they create these trapezoids, these very, you know, artificial shapes. I've seen it in oyster reef design off of Florida and in mitigation reefs where the stones are laid in a grid pattern that is unnatural. And uh, you just think, you know, gosh, you know, can't the engineers think about the environmental design of the world and try to be more to mimic that? And it's clear to me in your product design that both in the surface and the shapes that you're using and the complexity of the shapes, um, that they're much more uh, uh, like nature, the, yeah, nature uh, better, Definitely. you know, better. They look better. <laughs> And the chemistry is better. I mean, this is important. And I got to tell you, please continue this particular revolution by getting the engineering community to think about natural design shapes and in, in all of its applications, not just in, in shoreline armoring. But uh, so I'm a, I really like that y'all are uh, on that track. Um, I can tell you that um, for that, on that note, first of all, what most of what we do is inspired by nature. For example, we have a product uh, that's a tight pool armor. It's it's basically mimicking rock pools, like you find um, beautiful rock pools in California, in Washington State, basically anywhere where you have a rocky reef, uh, you will find these kind of water retaining features where you have all these sea anemones and sea stars and the, the concrete structures are aimed to drain the water. And so we are losing these beautiful coastal habitats when we are constructing our seawalls and our revetments. And we designed a product that you can integrate even into riprap uh, and just create that habitat and still have all the load-bearing capacity of a rock armor. Uh, and so that specific product won the biomimicry design challenge last year. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that we really get inspired by those habitats and, and those natural features. Uh, and we also harness natural processes like, you know, calcification and the growth of, of skeletons on our concrete, uh, which makes it much more efficient. All right. 
so I know what I think about this, but I want I, I want you to go first. Um, you know, I think that there there might be some folks in our audience who are thinking to themselves, uh, "Boy, I understand that we are uh, needing to create, you know, cement uh, or rather concrete improvements." But boy, does it suck that we're destroying natural uh, features and replacing them with this. And um, can you address that? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to call it a criticism, but it's kind of a, I don't know, I could just see people having that thought. I think it's number four slide on every presentation I give. If we can uh, choose other alternatives like realignment, managed retreat, living shorelines, hybrids, go for that. We are the last, really, it's funny, but we're the last people to encourage concrete in the water. We are coming from loving the oceans. Uh, but when there is like an executive decision by a policymaker, engineer, project manager, that this site has to get concrete, has to get hard armor in the city, in Manhattan, in many places in California where you have, you know, you have real estate that's not going to go anywhere and you have to use hard defenses. You have to go vertical with seawalls and, and very steep slopes on concrete structures. That's where we come in and we say, you're going to build this. Let's do this right. Let's think about environmental consideration from the very initial design phases. Let's integrate, uh, you know, features that mimic the, the habitats that used to be in that environment and then we can get, you know, the reduce the, the ecological footprint of those structures. That's exactly why we developed the technology. And when you're working, and I think that's a great answer. And when you're working uh, on a project like this, where the, the decision has been made, we've crossed the Rubicon, we will be either replacing existing armament or improving existing armament or building a new armament feature. And you're called in to presumably make the thing greener and more uh, environmentally suitable. Uh, how do you, what's your relation, working relationship like with the lead engineers? How do they, um, how do they look at your product? Are they skeptical? Um, are they, how, how does, how's that relationship working out? Yeah, sure. So uh, as you say, we have to integrate and talk to people in the very early stages of the project. I mean, if we, if the project is already specified for what we call gray concrete, our chances to, to integrate our technology are very, very slim. So we do go and we educate those engineering firms, the landscape architect firms, design build agencies, and also the policymakers, giving them presentations, uh, sometimes giving them uh, credits you know, for um, their license. Uh, about ecological engineering and how they can integrate our technology and, and other, you know, environmentally sensitive technologies into these types of projects. Typically, it will start with this kind of an outreach, a presentation in a conference or something of the sort, and then we will start engaging. Usually, they're very enthusiastic. Uh, the landscape architects, for sure, they find this an amazing tool to, to kind of soften those hard edges. And uh, I can tell you that since we started operating in 2012 until now, we've seen a major shift in the way that even, you know, the strictest engineers, uh, concrete engineers, material engineers uh, are, are welcoming innovation in a much more friendly way than in the past. Because 
I think that people are realizing that climate change is here and now on so many levels, and that if we don't adapt and, and you know, innovate, uh, we're, we're going to perish. It's, it's true. I think the challenges along the shorelines around the world, not obviously not just in America, but everywhere with sea level rise, we see it every day in king tide flooding and nuisance flooding and uh, shoreline retreat. Uh, I think you're quite right that in urban areas, particularly in Manhattan or the, 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 the uh, San Francisco International Airport Authority just announced a billion dollar uh, seawall yeah. sea barrier project to protect that airport, the, the Embarcadero in San Francisco. We're talking about, about the structures that are going to be necessary to respond to climate change. Uh, concrete is going to be a big part of it, and better concrete is a better deal. Uh, so I completely uh, follow along with what you're trying to do in the market that you've identified. I think it's quite right, and uh, it would be great if these things were done better. Um, but I want to know about uh, how far you, the company was founded. Uh, E-Concrete was founded in 2012, um, and you guys have, uh, have done a, had a bang-up start here. What is the projects that are most notable in your mind? Or uh, Tell us about the largest installation you've been able to, to, to incorporate into these uh, designs around the world. Um, so we did start with relatively small projects, and we're still just now scaling. Uh, at the moment, we have about 30 installations in six countries across six oceans. Uh, I know because I counted recently. Um, we have installations in, in, in New York, New Jersey, Florida, California, uh, Netherlands, uh, Monaco, France, uh, and even Hong Kong. Uh, I think most of the installations we've had so far were at, uh, you know, uh, tens of units, like uh, 20, 30, 40 units, uh, which is still very small in comparison to infrastructure level. Uh, just recently, we had a nice installation uh, in New York. Uh, I think uh, one of our first actually in Brooklyn Bridge Park, uh, from our perspective, uh, is is very important because it's, it's very public, obviously. It, it contains both uh, pile encapsulation and our tide pools. Um, and just recently, we signed a, a collaborative uh, project with the Port of San Diego. Uh, within the next 12 months, we are uh, looking to uh, launch a new, a new product of uh, interlocking tide pools and to install it in three locations within the port. Um, so I, I can't uh, tell you much about a huge, you know, miles and miles of, of projects yet. Uh, one of the biggest or probably the most big project that we are incorporated in, you know, as a design uh, is one of the post uh, Sandy initiatives uh, called uh, Living Breakwaters. Yeah, this uh, is the Staten Island project. It's tremendous. Yes. So that one uh, in the initial stages of the design, uh, Econcrete was incorporated, Econcrete designs are incorporated. I cannot say that it's our project, uh, but hopefully... Uh, it it will have uh, some designs that's that uh, time will tell. Every journey begins with a single step, and uh, the yeah. company is new. The idea is new. The chemical reformulation, the design innovation that you're doing, it takes a while for folks to get used to this. Uh, 
and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you you guys have launched this effort. I, do you mind if I ask you, this is a, <laughs> I would love to get your opinion on this because in reading about concrete and marine applications of concrete, uh, it's hard not to come across the Roman concrete, uh, yeah. Roman cement, <laughs> Roman cement. <laughs> it's one of my favorite subjects on, uh, the pod. I mean, this stuff is, this stuff is old and seriously, uh, durable because it's a lot of it's still around. Isn't that right? Yes, I, I think that uh, Roman Roman cement is definitely something uh, very very interesting. It's based on, uh, you know, hydraulic setting cement. It's it's still used, but those types of uh, of cements over the time have, have really pivoted. I think from that Roman cement. Uh, here in Israel, we have uh, some of the oldest uh, Roman cement um, testimonials in Caesarea. There's still a breakwater made wow. of Roman cement and it's beautiful. Um, so indeed, like we would like to say that we mimic some of those features of the Roman uh, concrete. Uh, it does hold uh, the importance of volcanic ash within the concrete design of uh, basically the components of Roman cement. Uh, we don't use uh, volcanic ash for, per se, but we do use a part of the our black box component is different. Uh, cementous materials that uh, might mimic some of those features. Um, another thing I want to say is that the Roman cement shows us a great example. Because it has such a good lifespan, it is able uh, to accommodate a very strong, stable uh, community, marine community. Uh, typical regular concrete, the gray concrete, as we say, uh, will, will be kind of barren throughout the first, uh, I don't know, 20 years of its lifespan. And only when it's starting to erode and crack, uh, that's where it will start being interesting for biology. So you might have people say, but I did see oysters on concrete. But if you look, you dig a little bit deeper, you will see that it's a very old concrete and that it's starting to, to erode and maybe corrode and get cracks. And that's where the organisms uh, start developing. So Yeah, and that, that brings up uh, a follow-up question that Peter and I had. Uh, listeners will recall that we have had conversations with Gary Glick, who's the president and CEO of uh, the RVG Reef uh Friends of the RVG Reef Organization, which is a low-relief artificial reef in South Texas, Uh, Mm -hmm. and the idea is that it's nursery habitat, and he has been given by, goodness, I forget the railroad. Railroad company. A railroad company has given him thousands of concrete uh, railroad ties, and he is deploying these um, at... A, a really remarkable i mean the tonnage of material that he has brought out there i can't cite it uh off the top of my head but it's it's a it's a lot of material and um what i'm, I'm curious to know uh, given given your expertise uh on the subject of m- marine environments and concrete would you that is that that's not necessarily a bad thing it just means it's going to take a considerable amount of time before uh, that reef really begins to accumulate its biodiversity. Is that kind of what you're suggesting? Yeah, and I did. I've never seen the exact design, but if you're saying these are real elements, they're probably smooth flats of concrete. Uh, maybe if they if you place them, you know, in a, in, in a way like Lego with that that offers a three dimensional complexity, he will get shelter for fish and other invertebrates. And, and get some some life for sure. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, typically it would take uh, a long time. I'm also betting it's it's quite a heavy duty cement, uh, probably high performance concrete. Yeah. Uh, which that the 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 crust on the the concrete directly will take a lot of time. But uh, I think that one of the things, and I told you, I started my studies from artificial reefs, and I really pivoted away from that because uh, when we deploy uh, artificial reefs, uh, if we're doing that to rehabilitate and rebuild a destroyed reef, let's say a reef that got damaged by a hurricane or a reef that got damaged by trawling or fish blasting, and believe me, I've seen that, that is beautiful. And we can use e-concrete to do artificial reefs as well if we want to. But too often, uh, elements that are discarded are being used as reefs uh, just because they can, and then they're being placed on a, on a seabed, uh, even, even if it's not like a a reef they're being placed on a flat seabed people think that flat sandy bottoms are you know barren uh, deserts they're not they're a habitat and when we are placing an artificial reef uh, uh, creating an artificial hard bottom habitat we're changing the ecosystem and i decided that i'm not advocating for that uh instead I'm, i'd rather kind of tag along to structures that, as we mentioned, an executive decision has been made to build them because we have to, uh, humanity has to build them for whatever reason and enhance that as opposed to putting more and more man-made things on the seabed. Um, unfortunately, we, there, there have been some examples, including in the U.S., where these kind of, uh, you know, old um, metro carts or old uh, pipes, etc., have been uh, used for artificial reefs uh, kind of, there's been a debate in the industry if it's a disguise for uh, dumping things or if it's an actual restoration effort. And uh, I say, if we don't have to put it there, we better off just leave the ocean bottom as is. And one of the one of the great debates around the world, I think, is is that issue of uh, what is appropriate for uh, artificial reefing. Uh, it's a big thing in Texas. I know on the Texas coast. Um, there are state and federal funds flowing into these projects, and I think they are similar to what you described, which is uh, sandy nearshore uh, bottoms that are being uh, populated now with structure. Uh, typically, it's concrete, but it also can be, uh, you know, old ships and things like that. And, uh, you know, there's debate. There's a lot of debate about whether that's yep. the appropriate thing to do. Um but I would like to ask, I, I want to understand, if you don't mind, I hate to get into the chemistry thing, but I'm just curious. You, you mentioned chloride leaching. And uh, can you talk about chemically and I've, you know, why concrete, why things don't like to attach? I, I, I get the surface structure roughness part of it. But what's going on chemically? What do you, what, what's, what's your understanding of that? And what is, why is chloride leaching a so bad thing? Yeah, no, the, the chlorides uh, is actually vice versa. Chloride are ah. penetrating into the concrete okay. uh, from the water, ions of chloride. And therefore, if there is uh, an, a reinforcement in the concrete, uh, often called rebar, uh, basically metal to reinforce the concrete, then the ions from the water are attacking the rebar, attacking the, the metal and making it uh, corrode. And as you know, corrosion has much more volume than non-corroded metal and then the concrete kind of explodes from within yeah that's where you see those seawalls that are exploded and uh, have these cracks and that's something that we are actually helping prevent with the concrete and with the marine life because that, that crust on 
on the seawall will help prevent those chlorides from penetrating within. Uh, but from the perspective of concrete as a material, uh, there's again, we're, I'm not a concrete expert on that level of chemistry, uh, but we did a lot of reading. We were taught to learn. So from what I gained in my knowledge, uh, I understand that there's a, a whole suite of heavy metals uh, that are leaching from the concrete out. Uh, they're not creating uh, a toxic wave or environment around them. But on a larvae perspective, when a baby coral tries to settle on the concrete, it does, in, it does find it very harsh. Um, so some of those heavy metals are interfering. Some of the chemicals that I've mentioned that are, uh, let's say, making the concrete uh, perform well in, in freezing environments, some of those chemical compounds that make the concrete workable uh, to have it stay within the mixer and uh, in, the, in the mixing truck, it, it receives these chemicals that make it stay uh, liquid longer. Uh, so these chemicals are apparently leaching and uh, interfering with the biology. Uh, there is also the debate on the pH of the concrete. Uh, regular concrete has a very high pH, very alkaline, around 13, 13 and a half. Wow. Uh, Seawater is around eight. Uh, and therefore, there is the issue of pH. Uh, initially, we thought that we will need to really lower the pH of our concrete uh, to make it work biologically. Uh, but from our trials, we found that we can lower it very lightly. We lower it now to around 11 and a half uh, and not very, very low as some of the, maybe some of the artificial reefs that are not load bearing there. You can build an artificial reef with that and, and create a coral environment, but you cannot build a seawall from that type of concrete because then you, lo you lose the strength. When you lower the pH very much, you, you typically lose the strength of the concrete and we want to avoid that. Um, but even 11 and a half, as we as we found, is uh, is very efficient from biology. Okay, so um, it's the the trick of the trade here. It sounds like, and what you've there's a number of innovations in in what eConcrete uh, your company has developed. Uh, but it is this secret sauce. I'm going to call it the admix, which is an additive uh, in the uh, in the mixture of the concrete itself that changes the chemical behavior of the material and i suspect that's not a uh what's in that is something that you do not share with the world right that's secret yeah, right I mean, that, so, that's the secret sauce right yeah the, the, there is a black box component to the technology uh yeah. the technology is patented and we do have uh the patent out there i mean you can you can go ahead and read it and it does talk about um what's kind of the margins, let's say, with, with reducing the, the port and cement, uh, different components within that. So some of it is exposed, but we do have a secret sauce uh, component, we can say. And, uh, and and that part is, at the moment, uh, kind of a trade secret. Okay. Uh, but, but whenever you buy the, the product, for example, let's say you would go ahead and, and want to specify it in the project, you will have to get uh, all the safety data fits uh, and everything that we use right. within our mix design. So it's not like uh, a crazy secret thing. You, you, could, you would have some information about these, uh, what we call supplementary cementous materials uh, that we are adding. And I think that what I can tell you that uh, the beauty is that almost, well, over 90% of our admix is byproducts. Uh, I already mentioned that with respect to the low carbon footprint, uh, but we're taking byproducts of, of different industries, 
let's say like uh, the query industries, different porcelainic materials, and we are mixing them in a very specific way yeah. uh, to make their ad mix. Yeah, you mentioned the slag, the use of slag, and uh, in in North Carolina, coal fly ash is, is it's not uncommon to see that incorporated into cement mixtures. Uh, as a way to dispose of of that material, but let's talk a little bit about the products that you produce. And and it looked like from your website and and I got to say your a web- beautiful website, fantastic. One of Thank you. by really- far the best concrete <laughs> website I've ever seen. Did you notice that you're going diving as you go down? I the did. Oh I, boy, yeah, did I? Right. Yes, you scroll down. It's like you're submerged. And you get you kind of see yeah. you go and see all the uh, pro- all the products as you go yeah. down. It's super good. And and uh, but armoring that. So for the folks out there, you got to go to the website. And and uh, Shamrit, tell us where the website is so folks can go to it. Maybe while they're listening. Sure. Uh, basically, you can just click econcretetech.com or econcreteus. So econcrete.us. There's two websites. Okay. Uh, it doesn't matter. Well, um, you, yeah, they should they should check it out while while they're listening to it because it's it helps to uh, see 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 what these things really yeah, are. Yeah, do, do do scroll down and um, uh, with regards to the products at the moment we have a suite of I think six or seven existing products uh, that uh, we've applied across the border, including armor units, uh, including marine mattresses. That's a very interesting product. It's a very cool thing. Uh, that's used also for the offshore industry, oil, gas, and, and wind. Uh, we have piling casements. Uh, we have, what am I forgetting, seawalls of different designs. Um, offshore also anchors? Have, yeah, yeah, anchoring systems. We've worked with various entities. Uh, we have a, a very nice project uh, um, with uh, camouflaging anchors, actually. Huh. So some entities want their anchors not to be identified, and we help. Um, oh, that's cool. So really uh, a suit of, of products. I mentioned that we're working on a new interlocking uh, tide pool for, for the Port of San Diego, which is, is a great collaboration. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. That's going to be a really cool product. Um, and uh, we're, we're working on different innovations. We're working now with the Port of Rotterdam on uh, a design to, to really uh, – kind of enhance the concrete cap of bulkheads. That's not a very boring marine environment. Um, bulkheads are very like deserts and we can work on the concrete cap uh, where the intertidal uh, hits the concrete and, and we are creating a new product for that. Um, and we have one uh, terrestrial application. I know this is about coastal, but still you can uh, imagine uh, a green wall but we're only talking about a facade that grows lichens and mosses and climbing vegetation. Hmm. And uh, we are now applying it for some uh, riverine and uh, brackish water systems, uh, including we have, we're specified for two segments of the Thames River uh, renovation project. So that's going to be very interesting to see kind of, uh, even in freshwater environment, how we can enhance the, the, the invertebrates and the algae uh, onto the river wall. I, I think I think Frank Lloyd Wright, if he were sitting here, would be really into that wall. <laughs> it has <laughs> it has a Frank Lloyd Wrightian, like I, I could see him using that that particular feature with the growing and the moss. 
at Fallen Water, man. Yeah, Fallen Water. It, it's 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 it really is good looking. Uh, it's a good looking uh, thing. You know, I I and all the products are are really uh, great. You guys have clearly um, thought about and done a lot of work uh, about all these different ways that concrete's used. But uh, you know, I I, I want to zoom out again and think about like, okay, it's a hundred years from now. You know, climate change has is probably still happening and and hopefully we're doing better with it we've done a by then i presume we will have uh poured a lot more concrete um to manage our rising uh sea levels and i'm curious to know uh what 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 your vision is what the story is that you want to tell with with this product but more broadly with kind of reforming the use of concrete as a business mater- or as a building material material on the shoreline and in marine environments so i i really think that within even as little as 50 but definitely 100 years we're going to have to rethink the way that we are designing our our border fronts and our our, our coastal cities um i think we're going to have to let some of the water in and there's a bunch of very interesting visionary landscape architects that we're very proud to be working with including Scape landscape architects and uh, others like Big uh, working on, on Manhattan now that I would love to work with them. Anyway, to see how the oceans enter the city, uh, to allow for that to happen to a certain extent, uh, definitely to have edges that are not completely vertical and barren, but to have uh, functionality, to have uh, a lot more habitat and even multifunction uh, spaces that, for example, accommodate uh, marine aquaculture, and different elements, built elements that protect our coastline. Uh, I, I, I would always envision something more like uh, ending our cities with something like a rice terrace stepped formation uh, that is really gradual as opposed to a complete vertical uh, relief uh, mm-hmm. so that we do allow uh, our oceans to, to freely behave to a certain extent. Um, I think that's going to be uh, definitely a part of our future, and also a combination of perhaps floating structures. I know there's a bit a bit of a hype on that, but I do think that uh, it could be uh, a part of our future when we have some components uh, that are kind of, let's say, interacting much more freely freely uh, with the oceans uh, through some of the uh, concrete structures that are floating. Uh, we're actually looking at that. Uh, these days as well wow that's it you know it it um we haven't had a chance to to talk to anyone in israel on the american shoreline podcast uh and as a marine biologist and as the uh founder and ceo of e-concrete could you talk to our audience a little bit around around the u.s about the status of the shoreline say in israel or in the red sea what are you seeing in terms of coastal management uh, trends. Uh, what do you think is going well in that region of the world when it comes to management of our shorelines and uh, the challenges of sea level rise? No, unfortunately, I, I don't have really, really good news. Uh, we are based in Israel, but the climate here from environmental and also I think from uh, coastal, uh, I'd say management and innovation is, is quite behind um we we actually do look and highlight some of the uh, policies within the us for example for mitigation 
that are much more pro-environment and, and environmentally sensitive technologies than in Israel. Uh, we do suffer from a lot of the same problems uh, that you suffer from within the U.S. We don't have any extreme, we don't have extreme weather uh, really at the moment. I, I think that there is an, uh, except like maybe once in a hundred year uh, prediction of a tsunami that uh, I we, we've finished a hundred years, so maybe one will come now. Uh, but we don't have storms. We have cliffs with high-end real estate. We have coastal erosion on cliffs. Uh, we have issues with lack of sand, uh, especially after um, um, the Suez Canal uh, uh, renovation and, and works and the, 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 basically the extension of the, of the Suez Canal. Uh, we are losing sand. We have a negative sand budget. Uh, and so we are faced with many of the same dilemmas. Uh, our cells are innovating in the field, but I'm afraid that we're going to be implemented in the U.S. before uh, any major implementation in Israel because we don't have those policies for mitigation and conservation. Uh, Israel stops at environmental impact statements, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, I think uh, countries all around the world are going to have to get a little bit better at this um, this issue. And uh, uh, Shimrit, your company is part of the solution to, to better manage shorelines where armoring is necessary. And as you said, when the executive decision has been made, uh, let's do it better. Let's find the right materials. Let's find things that are more conducive to biological uh, diversity and productivity and what a great thing to have a marine biologist heading up a company on building materials i just think uh, it puts the right perspective on what's happening do you have any closing uh, thoughts to offer uh, to our audience shimret uh, well i think that the, the concept of working together uh, cross-discipline and and that's why you're you know uh, highlighting the fact that I'm a marine biology in concrete. Our company has uh, marine biologists, geologists, concrete technologists, um, coastal engineers, designers, product designers. I think that we need to work uh, with different disciplines in order to really bring the best in, in the way that we are building our coastlines. And that's probably true for different industries. Uh, I also want to say that it's important for uh, ourselves and different, you know, uh, industries uh, to work together towards a better design. So working with the policymakers, with the engineers, with the landscape architects, uh, environmentalists and, and companies like ourselves need to work together towards better solution and, and really avoid what, we, what we've been doing until now obviously hasn't been the most efficient way. We've learned that we are seeing the impacts of, of classic armor uh, we're losing our coastline. So we need to do things differently and we need to work together. 100% agree with you. Very well said. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Shamrit Perkolf Binkel, co-founder and CEO of E-Concrete Tech Limited with her co-founder, Dr. Ido Sella, uh, two folks who are taking a new look at coastal construction materials around the world and I think a very important innovative step forward. And uh, Dr. Perkel, thank you so much for joining us on the American Shoreline podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
Jesus said.